everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, academic, and writer. And I am, as always, joined by my good friend, political scientist, Leon. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> you had to, didn't you? I, I, I couldn't resist. Because it's a special episode. It is. And we're recording this on the eve of the date. The date. The date. The date. The big date. The, date, the big date for the, the date left day bank. as well. We're also recording on a date day. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since I've marked recording, uh, we are recording on Valentine's Day, so that's the joke there. But right. but it's also the day before, which is the fifteenth, the four year anniversary of the left page. Four years. Holy shit. Only nine hundred and ninety six. Years more to go. Of course. A thousand years of podcasting. May Left Page Dynasty last a thousand years. A thousand years. A thousand years. Only 996 to go. Looking forward to the Left Page movie. The Left Page franchise will <laughs> will spread throughout the <laughs> The lands. HBM spin-off. The, yes, everything. Merchandising deal. will <laughs> Finding off the no. being acquired by the House of Mouse. It will be a battle for the ages, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'd love a left page hoodie, but I, 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 I could not make it internationally. <laughs> Only a left page hoodie? Wow, not, not even HBM slippers? Whatever, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I would want for the HBM. It's, uh, we'll see. Well, well, well there, there's the things about the HBM stuff, but, uh, you know, you know. Yeah, I don't, but go on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, so four years, four years doing podcasting. I I am the podcast constant here. Bruno has come, Bruno has gone. I have remained. Now Leon has come, and hopefully he'll never leave. I will outlast you. <laughs> we'll see about that. I will. I am here eternal. I am. The fact that I am kind of younger than you helps. It does, but I'm way more stubborn than you. I, you? I come from a long line of survivors. I don't know if you can say the same. It's just, uh... <laughs> let, let me play the ethnicity, the, uh, the the cultural religious card uh, real quick. That's, uh... Yeah, that was a quick one. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a good one though. So I don't know. It, it is like I I have no comeback to that. Yeah, you better not. So touche. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I am honored to like tag on for the like the last little part of. The four-year stretch, so to speak. It feels like I've been doing this for quite a while, I would say. And I don't know. Yeah. Um, th- that's not an to insult. Fair, I'm sorry, by the way. Did it mean to sound that like an insult? Um, it's, it's, I, no. don't, I don't think it could be an insult, really. No, I, I got, got used to it quite quickly. And like, I love talking about like Good. You know, stuff like this. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been, once again, not to like recant, or not recant, uh, retail the, the tales <laughs> that I've eagerly spun in our year review episode um Woo. i do feel that i don't know like once again it's it's uh it's it's been great and it it doesn't feel like how many months am i here now like august was the first no 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 for left page i joined september in no september was the first witcher episode oh, but that yeah, wasn't official October. yeah co-host like so it's it's <laughs> it's only it's barely been a quarter month for me but it feels like wow. at least two years so. Well, to be fair, you've 
recorded and edited a lot of episodes. Yeah, by now, yeah. Given how I was doing monthly episodes of the left page, only that for quite a while, uh, yeah, you you <laughs> you've recorded almost as much, uh, yeah, in le- much less t- third of the time, quarter <laughs> of the time even. Well, you know, I I did I did I was like uh, I did ups- uh, I, I like realized my hubris by doing two episodes a month essentially. So it's um, yeah. Yeah, I I do uh like, outproduce you, as in <laughs> in you a, as as a worker, you know, like, you know, it's um, the state loves me more than you know you. So, um... just, just so everyone knows, <laughs> Leon does does the HBM episodes out of his own volition. Yeah, I do not put him up to those. Yeah, not that directly. was the deal. But maybe <laughs> you use. A certain type of language that's oh yeah that if, if just leave the preaching to me don't don't worry um maybe <laughs> you use a certain type of language that influences me to act against the best interest of me and my peoples <laughs> now, now that is a perfect segue into the book we're talking about this month and it's a big one it's oddly enough it's quite similar to the previous one a uh, slightly different angle but the book we're talking about today is it's R.F. Kuang's Babel. I, you oh. will not have heard it because I have cut it, but Leon corrected my pronunciation. Thank you, Leon. No, I, I don't know <laughs> if it's, that's the correct pronunciation. Uh, I hope it's correct because that's the one that's thicking. I, I just like <laughs> I just like messing around. I'm sorry. More about that later. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you'll we'll see. You'll you'll all see. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a threat. Maybe, but if you yeah, it's. Be. <laughs> We're talking about Babel, which is the alternate history novel, alternate history fantasy novel about the the British Empire also having magical powers, which they used in the strengthen of imperialism and colonialism and all that jazz and industrialism, yeah. industrialization uh, as well via the magical powers of silverworking, which depend upon language, which More is universal. Later. Right, it's not just yes. them, but they have industrialized. <laughs> leave to the British, I suppose. They have industrialized the <laughs> magic that is silverworking. Exactly, we're we're in the eighteen thirties. I don't think we're in the eighteen forties yet. No, I don't think so. Yeah, and they they've discovered that silver can be used for magical properties via the use of languages and combining languages and powers, and they have effectively propelled themselves into the Industrial Revolution with it. Yes. Uh, The Industrial Revolution has and is happening, but this is kind of like a booster for it. Yeah, the Steam Engine wasn't all that, actually. Uh, Steam Engine Lane, actually, inscribing uh, (laughs) language on silver blocks. Now that, that's quite something. Well, small silver ingots, I think. Yeah, um, well, they do... I don't know if it's an ingot. Does uh, so I always envisioned it as an ingot, but they do Same. carry it with with surprising ease, and it's like he hides it in his like coat. And once again, an ingot ingot is quite big, so I don't know. Well, small ingot. <laughs> is that still an ingot then? Anyway. I, I don't. Isn't the ingot the shape, or is the ingot the actual volume of it? 
I I'm gonna go with shape, but I'm not sure actually. Would have been interesting to do that before we started recording, but well, we didn't expect <laughs> to be talking about the etymological nature of ingot, but I suppose it's Babel. It's, but we it's did all about yeah. language. <laughs> we did. We, we are going to talk about some etymologies, uh, maybe. Who knows? But woo. it's woo. yeah. So sorry to hijack your very diligent introduction. I'm so sorry, but I, I was wondering, <laughs> no. like, hey, did I read that wrong? And because once again, it does it does back the interesting question. Can I just jot down something on silver and it's it's magical? I don't know. Like there seems to be more to it. Well, I think we'll we'll get to it. But okay, I, th- I think you can. I think you can just jot it down, and if it's functional, it'll work. Uh, it doesn't need any extra pomp or, or circumstance to it. But well, so so this is uh, somehow a well, it's kind of just as bad, slightly worse, uh, British Empire. But they found a, an interesting use for their imperialism and a bonus use, so to speak, to the to the real counterpart, uh, which is our case, is that they have begun to well. <laughs> the the kind way is import. The honest way is kidnap uh, children and uh, from people in the various different colonies who are familiar with other languages are naturalized in other languages that are not English to allow them to create these, well, what they call match pairs, uh, yes. which is how silver works. You do these uh, two different language pairs or more, and that creates via some more complex mechanics. We'll get to them later. I'm, I'm just trying to go over it because why this is important and why we get to these characters in this state of the, the plot, so to speak. And you need these different languages in order to create, to have more match pairs, to have more powers and more uses to silver and the silver working. And so they've begun uh, effectively kind of kidnapping children mostly uh, via complex negotiations, at times bastard children, uh, which is the case of our main character, uh, Robin Swift. Robin. And. Sorry. <laughs> which is uh, not his name. It is his name, but it's not his name. Because uh, he's had his name taken away from him, because he's Cantonese. Yeah, no, I think that's already a very interesting note. Um, sorry to inter- once again, sorry to interrupt your nah. uh, thing. I think once again, this is it's going to be important for like the rest of the episode because it un- it's reflects the astounding understanding the writer has about empire, and especially yeah. British Empire. And you did say kidnap, and I don't want to disagree with that. At the same time, it is even more insidious and simple kidnapping, because they oh, don't yeah. really need to kidnap, do they? They, <laughs> they, the, all roads lead to London. Like, if you know what I mean. Exactly. It's, they set up the conditions in order that they will, you know, the best case scenario, and that's said a lot, and we'll talk about that later. Yes. About deserving and earning and uh, gratitude. Our main protagonist but... needs to needs to sign a contract. Like, so it's not being forced <laughs> against his. And once again, this is such a strong opening because it once again it shows it shows the inherent insidiousness of global capital and especially global capital functioning through empire. And okay, well, anyway, sorry, please continue. But <laughs> that's just a minor note that I would like. It, they don't kidnap them because they don't need to. That's how yeah. insidious and powerful empire gets. I would say. Yeah. Exactly. Like. For, for all characters involved, well, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but to the main characters involved, it's London is the best case, or 
England is the best case scenario. And it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, assimilation by coercion, somewhat more indirect, but it's still, it's still there. Like they don't need to take you, but because you want to go yourself and you learn to love it. <laughs> or else. Or else. Or that's, else. That's, that, that's <laughs> the big other side of the sentence. Or else. Yes, it is honest in that regard, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, quite so. Uh, and so this is a large part of the setup. And we'll, we'll surely... Because I want to give a brief introduction of overall what, what's going on. And then we'll, we can start talking about Robin itself and that opening, which is quite significant for a lot that happens later and empire itself yeah sorry i'll show but... you go ahead I'll... no 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 worries <laughs> that's, that's all important to note otherwise you know i'll forget too okay so the the course for these for these <laughs> coerced children because they need to be taken kind of when they're children so they can be properly assimilated really and convinced in a sense of you know empire and believing and supporting empire that kind of thing we'll see how well that works uh <laughs> But and, and, but they also need to be aware of their native language. They can't wholly forget it because that's the point. They need to be able to naturalize their, their native t- tongues while also being able to utilize English and other languages in case of Latin and Greek. Because, of course. Of course. <laughs> and that's the main setup. So the natural path is to go to Oxford. And the book plays a lot with this notion of you know, like the the boarding school narrative and oh isn't it great and what a good environment of course it's all uh imperialism always has been uh that that's the, the astronaut meme yes is it all you. imperialism i, I wasn't always gonna say been. it but i'm happy you did <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 you know in this case that's the point so it's horrible and horrifying and <laughs> you if you don't realize it yet you'll see how bad it gets yeah and they go to oxford where there is this prestigious institute which is just a, ma- a major amount of hubris on everyone's part which is babel and it's of course it's a tower uh it's almost transcendental prestigiousness i would say but sorry yeah, <laughs> go on that's how prestigious it gets it is yes. the institute within the institute like capital th- capital T and uh, like dash on the E, the like you know, and the tower literally supports the empire. Yeah, like yeah, that is I mean. no yeah. exaggeration that part. That's not hyperbole. That's fact. Yes, that's and we'll, so we'll get into why. Exactly, not just in terms of production, but of sustaining silverwork, and well, it's. That's where they go. The, the, the idea is that these children, they, they grow up, they go to have this boarding school experience and eventually become important cogs or pillars in the defense and upholding of, of the British Empire. And this is the scenario we're getting. And we're in quite an interesting historical moment. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk briefly about stuff, but then we'll get into spoilers because there's a lot to talk about spoilers. Yes. But um, <laughs> if you know your history well, uh, the relationship between the British Empire and China is at an interesting point. Uh, in other words, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. The Opium Wars are coming. Yes. And we'll get into that very shortly. So. And maybe a certain rebellion. 
Who knows? <laughs> and oh, I forgot. I forgot two different things. One, uh, our, we have our main cast of characters. We have Robin Swift, Cantonese boy. Uh, we have, we have Rami. Rami. Rami, Rami, who is, who is from India, yes. and he Muslim Indian, to, to be precise. exactly. Thank you, Leon. No worries. And, <laughs> and he is, he's great. He's probably one of the best characters, frankly. Yes, I don't trust you if you don't like Remy. That's what I'm trying to get at. Same. Then we have the excellent Haitian Victoire. Victoire. Uh, she's also great. Also, and amazing. then. And then we have Letty, who is English. Who actually. ages like lettuce. Da, 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 da. Like list. Da. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> I, I, let's not get started about Letty because I'm just going to shut up now because then I'm, that, that will oh, be no, it. We'll, we'll get to Letty. Don't yeah. you worry. Yeah. Precisely. So I'm just going <laughs> to let it go. Oh. <laughs> so they, they are the, 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 the books phrasing, terming is quite interesting because they're a cohort. But effectively, they're the only class that year in Tabable. Yeah. But, you know, so they, they live together. They are their own refuge because uh, everyone else hates them, <laughs> to be honest. Because, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all alien. And save for a lady or, or a woman, which isn't much better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, love the British Empire. Sorry. A cohort, interesting word, right, uh, to use? For... Yeah. Is that, once again, I... I know, I recognize a couple of things in this book. Um, sorry for the squeak. Mm. Um, <laughs> I need a new chair. Um, but other than that, um, so, so the cohort is an interesting word to use, I would say. Like, it's not that important. I'm sorry, but I, I just do want to set an, an, uh, like, I don't know, like establish a perspective here, mainly because I recognize a bunch of these things that were put forward mm-hmm. in this book. I never went to Oxford. I'm never going to. Um, <laughs> bit too yeah, old, but same. bit too old now. But I have spent a lot of time in university circuits. And mm-hmm. I still am up to a point. And it's like, I do recognize some of the things put forth. And I understand it's like depicting of 18th century. Uh, sorry, 19th century, early 19th century. Mm-hmm. Or at least first half of the 19th century. Yeah. But by God, <laughs> isn't it recognizable at times? Um <laughs> how little and how much and how little and how much and how little and how much things have changed. Uh, so much so yeah. that it's... Once again, so I guess, dear listener, don't be fooled into the idea that because it's 18, like 1800s, it is not hyper-relevant for today still. And the fact that it is hyper-relevant oh, yeah. for today still... Depressing. Um, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> great. So anyway. Sorry, sorry to talk about this, but I, I do find the, the word for cohort interesting, mainly because, once again, Roman army terminology, I believe. Um, yeah. Containing, like, three or six hundred men, something, I believe. I vaguely mm. recall from uh, playing a lot of uh, Rome 2. No, anyway, that's um, <laughs> neither here nor there. But, uh, yeah. Not quite sure where it comes from. Yeah, I, I don't know. It might be a thing, but it also makes sense since they're integrating the actual uh, empire uh, machine. Yeah. And, well, once again, they do place this importance on Latin and Greek because, you know, fundamental languages to what they perceive to be Western society to be. And, like, oh, yeah. you know, like, you know, it's uh, not quite sure what cohort, what the etymological 
would be of that port. Sounds like Portis Garden, but I don't see how that would <laughs> configure into Co Gardens. I, I don't know. Once again, sorry, I'm not a linguist, but uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's um, it doesn't matter. So yeah, I, I, I once again, it's only like the word co art does show up a little bit, and only time, only reason why I'm like stopping, uh, to talk about this is because to get like this idea across that the utilization of language on a meta-contextual storytelling level, but also in a very direct, literal storytelling level, is <laughs> fascinating in this book. And I think is a tremendous strength of it. It shows yeah. a... Christ, I don't know if... I don't normally use these words, but it shows like an almost sublime dedication to its setting. Um, yes. It's, yeah, anyway, I've, I've, I'll shut up now. And with this on craft as well, since it's it's all about translation. Yes. So it's a book deeply obsessed about language. So all these choices, they're not accidental. They're, they're, they're very purposeful. And even if we miss so many, it's, it, it's, it's a book that really shows you how, it's care, how it cares about its own craft. Yes. In a meaningful way, I would say. Of course. I... That's, that's the thing. Uh, the last I was going to mention of you know this this large plot setup and outline is uh, we find out that uh, that this this university world is not all there are also those working to undermine it, thankfully uh, and undermine empire the Hermes society. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, do you want to know? Yeah. Do we want to get into Hermes society? name well not or, yet okay. this is uh just introducing it's like of course these of are course. the players the this is the setting and there we and we're off yeah so what do you want to start with leon oh boy uh, i already started with cohort for way too long a time i'm so sorry um <laughs> that's fine once again uh, etymological uh it does go into the etymological roots do go into this the silver work and stuff and um i don't know if that's where i want to begin um, sure. I guess we can start uh, with with the start of the story. I think Robin is yeah. a very interesting character, and I do maybe want to get a little bit into how Empire functions and what I said about the kidnapping. Maybe that's interesting. Yeah, perfect. It's uh, so yeah. Uh, despite being from Canton, not not in, in spite of, but you might be forgiven to think, oh, he just speaks Cantonese. No, he speaks uh, Mandarin, which is important. Yeah, because the region of Canton mm-hmm. is interesting to Empire. However. China at large is going to be a hmm. How to say this? What what would be a good term for this? Like <laughs> a an a, an uh, object of fascination or fixation for empire. Yes. As you know, if you are a student of history, you uh, you know what's coming, or you know what's going on and has been going on. Just to give like a quick rundown, the essentially um, the. <laughs> the English got their hands on a little thing called opium. And they wanted to essentially flood China with opium for a multitude of reasons. I can humbly recommend you. It's a fascinating period in history. And yeah, I, I once again, I'm not an expert on it. It's not my, uh, it's, it's a couple hundred years after periods of time that I would feel comfortable talking about. But um, <laughs> once again, yeah, it is a, uh, I think it is such a <laughs> tremendous um, good example, quote unquote, to go to when you want to explain the grotesqueness of empire. It is, yeah. It it you see the inherent evil of empire 
on so many levels if you study this or like if you just read up on this conflict on this dynamic that is not a singular conflict but like consists out of a chain of events that are all um horrible quite frankly uh yeah <laughs> yeah so i don't know there's um there's there's this that's this whole thing and like you know it's how, all pretty terrible yeah and the history and you might just in general even if you're not interested in necessarily empire um like the history of hong kong by the way how it was wrested from uh china is who uh is maybe good to know i don't know it's um <laughs> yeah that's it's 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 a thing that that's that's going to be an ongoing conflict in our current world in a contemporary sense the yeah. hong kong china conflict or you know clash i, I don't know how to, how to say that or what the right word for yeah it would be. Me, me either um once again that's not what this episode is going to be about i just you know once again uh in very interesting setting it is a alt history a, a alt history fantasy book much like the last book we talked about mm-hmm. the uh, hunting of tram card uh 105 one, one yes no oh one five sorry <laughs> 15. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hunting of Tramcar 15. Just, just just say 15, Leon. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, once again, not my, uh, I was said in that episode as well that this is not necessarily my cup of tea. That being said, uh, I suggested this episode, I believe. Or this, uh, this Babel. Uh, like, just to read Babel because I heard nothing but good reactions from it. Same. Um, right. So, <laughs> and, you know, we wanted to do something special for the four-year anniversary. So, this is a robust book, by the way. This is quite something. When I started reading it, and to get back into like the opening of the book, um, it 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 started off with Latin. I was like, oh Christ, no, don't be like this. Um, which is unworthy. <laughs> no, no offense to this book, by the way, but it was just normally when that happens. Um, how to say this politely? But it reeks of pretentiousness normally. But then I quickly became obvious how um, the, the quality of the understanding, the author's understanding of history and the quality that they have inherent to that, that became very obvious. Like that they understand how empire and history works. It became quite clear, quite frankly, uh, quite quickly. Uh, so that, took, mm-hmm. that, was lo- that was a huge relief. And then the story was legitimately captivating. So I yeah. read it fast we both read it in huge chunks i was paranoid because i thought with the opening it's like oh man this this is a setting that doesn't necessarily interest me it's once again it's a genre that doesn't necessarily interest me oh shit oh fuck did i did i mess up um i might not be able to finish it in time jokes on me i (laughs) i then the book happens then the book happens thank you frank it's it's yeah so it starts off really depressing um, oh, yeah. oh no, I don't. Can we? Okay, so when do we want to talk spoilers? I don't know if that's. Uh, well, we'll talk about the start of the book, and then uh, we'll we'll start getting off because we'll then we're going to talk about language, empire, silver working, and then spoilers proper. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think we can talk about the general spoilers around this scene and the stuff that we yeah. quickly found out about it. It opens up on this, so I guess spoilers for the first chapter, if anything. I don't know. Micro spoilers. Yeah, they're about. They're literally the first thing you read, so don't worry about it. <laughs> um, like yeah, so we, we find out that like uh, our little protagonist, Robin, um, he's just alone. <laughs> he's just um, he's just dying. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, 
He's alone, Literally. and his other family has already died of cholera. cholera? I think so. Fuck, I'm sorry. I'm not good with my 18, my 19th century diseases. I'm so sorry. But uh, like something quite fierce is sweeping the nation, and he is saved somehow. And he's saved by good old Professor Lovell. 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 We'll stick with that. Yeah. And um, yeah, um, Lovell. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh uh, okay. I have to contain myself here. I'm so sorry, dear listener. Um, <laughs> that's a character. That's a character and a half. Oh, hmm, hmm. good old Lovell. Um, but okay, Lovell is a character that's very well utilized, I think. It's, yes. He Oh, Christ. I'd, this is going to be an, a, a big episode for me because once again, there are a couple of things in this episode. Uh, sorry, there's a couple of things in this book that hit me on a profoundly personal level, and then there's mm-hmm. a couple of things in this book that hit me on a profoundly political, philosophical level. If, if that's the right word mm-hmm. for it, yeah, I think so. We will get into it. I hope. Um, it's, oh, we will. Yeah, it's. Oh, okay. So level. So the best way to describe level is the. This version, this technically fictional, but not really, uh, version of Empire Personified. So, <laughs> Professor Lovell is, yeah. this, is this professor um, in Eastern languages, I believe. Or they call them Oriental languages. I don't know if that's... I, I heard that term is problematic for multiple reasons. I Yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to call it East Asian, or like uh, Asian mm-hmm. languages. Uh, sorry if that's not yeah. the correct terminology. Because that's his focus, generally. Yeah. And because, once again... Uh, India and China, like that region, uh, mm-hmm. your wealth subtracted, stolen, and abhorrently taken by empire from that region is tremendous. Is in yeah. almost near incalculable. And of course, once again, what's more important than the value stolen from them is the human lives lost. Like you know, just mm-hmm. just ho- horrendous. Um, I did a little bit of studying into like. Um, like late nineteenth century, uh, like early nineteen, uh, sorry, <laughs> early nineteen hundreds, late twenty hundreds, twenty hundreds. Fuck, never mind. Late uh, early twentieth century mm-hmm. um, history in like British occupy, occupying India, and that was nightmare inducing. The the tools and the the, the practices that uh, that British Empire used to subjugate Indian like just I only know a little bit about Indian I didn't even like read other st- stuff, um, but that Indian part was more than enough for me to like get like I don't know watered down PTSD. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. it was it's horrifying. Um, yeah. So anyway. So he's a great a summary of of empire like empire personified, and but what yeah like it might be odd to those who who like look at actual history, like how, how does a linguistic a linguistic professor uh, become such a thorough personification and such a powerful man uh, within empire, and well that's once again this is where silver working comes into right. Yeah, well yeah, but also in actual history. Linguists and foreign linguists like that are, or those who are aware of these foreign languages, are incredibly useful tools for empire. Even you know, in on our reality, like totally the possibility to communicate and to you know negotiate, trick, 
learn, understand, yeah. persuade, all that, that that is afforded by language is a genuine weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Tools of propaganda and like using it yeah. to, to you to cause infighting, which is a popular tactic from from both British Empire and American Empire, I would say. Yeah. It, it's, it, I mean, it, it's one of the things, right? Like, um, in the in the Spanish conquest of the the Americas, generally oh, speaking, yeah. there was there's a great deal of yeah, there was a direct conflict, but it was conflict that also you know, as as most stories of colonization go, there is subjugation, but there's also negotiation with certain groups against others. Yes. There are internal disagreements and conflicts in the in the peoples who are already there. And so the, here comes this external force favoring one side over the other, With defeating guns. their interests, <laughs> and ultimately, you know, uh, ruining for everyone and, you know, generally betraying them or, you know, favoring them in a way that is ultimately in their own imperial favor. So that's a general history how it goes. And to be able to communicate, having interpreters, having linguists in there, it's uh, quite significant. And with silver working, that importance grows tenfold because that becomes literal magical power. Yes. I, it's essentially a way to do spell casting uh, up to a point. Yeah. And Sorry this, for the interruption. No, no, no. Thank you. First off, it's indeed uh, linguists have played a significant role within uh, colonization within empire. I would say that it is, however, because of this, even more elevated. Like, you know, oh, they yeah. are just of that importance. Because Babel is the institution on which the empire is built, and because yeah. once again, you still have like you like you said, you still have steam engine, you still have like a bunch of other stuff, but all these inventions are now augmented by silver work, and yes, and once again, that would cost a lot of silver actually. But okay, that practicality is not that important yet. It's <laughs> um, or like it's not as interesting, I would say, and this idea of. That that just every single thing, so their 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 ships, their navy, the the pride of the English army that is, it's always been like the navy, right? And even the mm-hmm. navy is now augmented with silver work. Their cannons yeah. can shoot faster, can shoot farther and f- further, and like, or can shoot fathers as well. I don't know, but um, hey. the work the the workings of silver work are are quite broad and are then only constrained by our understanding of language. Because, like you said, yeah. this match, this matching pair on how to uh, ins- inscribe them on the silver block or ingot or strip or whatever. <laughs> Once again, not getting into it again. Uh, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but uh, our, your understanding of language essentially uh, can cause a direct correlation. Correlation, sorry, correlation between how competent of a uh, silversmith you are, how competent are your matching pairs going to be. And the matching pairs essentially are the things that generate the spells, the magic, the the, the effect. And mm-hmm. we hear once again, we hear in, in the integration of silver work everywhere. So yeah, it is this thing that is essentially accelerated the British Empire. And yeah, but at the same time, once again, we don't we don't get really into how different the British Empire is from historical British Empire. Because they're not the only ones with silver work, but they do have the most broad and, I guess, impressive institution for uh, linguistic uh, silver work, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, Once again, we don't, enc- <laughs> we don't encounter unbiased sources. 
Sorry, you can go. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think they have the most um, uh, exploitative and efficient academic functionings in order to have an institute like Babel. Yeah, where there is that is the main focus of like, yeah, you are going to well, w- what is Babel if not a think tank? Yeah, a magical think tank that essentially can be integrated with every other operation going about because. Once again, like there was the industrial uh, qualities of the British Empire, there were the warfare yeah. qualities of the British Empire, and all of these things are now touched by silver work, which is why Babel is so fucking important and why this one teacher is so fucking important. Yeah, exactly. And they, because they not only build all that, build all that, because they, but they maintain it, because that's something that requires maintenance and caring yes. for, and it. They, we, we learn, not very surprisingly, uh, they, the ones they generally sell to the populace, um, and the populace usually meaning the rich, uh, but also, you know, merchants, that kind of thing, uh, uh, cabbage riders, uh, all that. Yeah, middle class stuff. They, uh, they make them of lower quality, so yeah. they can, uh, they are paid more and do more maintenance jobs in order to make the bars work best. Uh, so it's also a, a bit of a scheme, a fraud. So why not? <laughs> yeah. It's so not like we're already upholding the empire. Let's sneak in a bit of fraud too. I think this is also why Babel is as successful as it is and why Hermes oh, yeah. society is as important as they are because essentially they sneak stuff out of Babel. And there probably is, yeah. once again, uh, I don't know what you said earlier um, about how we can just inscribe something on silver. There seems to be a bit more to it though because there's a whole department for it. And yeah, so the the thing is that so generally here's how silver works. Yeah, let's okay. get into that. So silver technically the idea is that you get two different words that are effective that mean something very similar. That would be the translation of it. However, as it is with pretty much every translation, there's something in between that is kind of lost. That is uh <laughs> that is lost in translation there, uh, a, a hidden meaning or, or something more obscure about it that in a, a deeper knowledge of the word would be missed, even if translated. And therein comes the power. That which is lost in between is potentialized and becomes manifest. So one of the examples that Leon was talking about was uh, the one with invisible. Yeah. Uh, which uh, means means something in English, but with the Chinese that is brought in, or the Mandarin that is brought in, sorry, is... It's fine. <laughs> I never hear a Chinese person refer to Mandarin as Mandarin. They always say Chinese nowadays. So I think it's... Fair fine. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll, I'll leave it all in then. Uh, <laughs> uh, and with the 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 equivalent word, it carries deeper meanings of you know, vision, of obscuring, not seeing that aren't all properly captured. The effect is that it renders the caster invisible. So that is kind of how it's generally working. It, again, it's also it's not abundantly clear, and I don't think they they generally while they make it like oh it's our business we understand no no you don't fully get it because it's it's built on a lot of subjectivity uh, which is quite interesting. But to to get on what it means that that lost sense. So a, a very obvious example, and that's known of Portuguese, is saudades. 
effectively to translate it into English, it is to miss, missing someone or, or, or something or situation, whatever. But the word in Portuguese carries a lot more affection. It is, uh, it is not just an action. It is a thing. It is a lot more concrete than that. It has a certain form and a certain way of relating, feeling. So to, to, to literally connect both of them, uh, would I'm not sure if they would create any power proper, but if they did, it would be something quite uh, in regards with that lost meaning in between, that, that affection, that emotion, or even a certain odd forgetfulness. Yeah. I think it's interesting that... Um, so, <laughs> uh, there's some Dutch in this novel as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, once again, I think that's then interesting that they... Uh, there's even a Japanese person that talks with a Dutch accent, but they don't really follow up on that. Um, <laughs> but other than that, which is interesting because uh, the Dutch were allowed to trade with the Japanese. Anyway, it might be a whole thing. I don't know. But, but what's more interesting is that then Dutch and English have uh, strong old Germanic roots. And uh, once again, the structure, there is a... Okay, not entirely, but there is a somewhat comparable structure between English and Dutch. It is very e easy for a Dutch person to learn English, and it is doable for an English person to learn Dutch. And hmm. because if you talk like uh, Middle English, it, it sounds like Dutch. And huh. so there's even like a Dutch professor at Oxford, right? The De Vries? Um, yes. If you want to know. He's, he's a bit of an idiot. And a, a total <laughs> asshole, actually. And yeah. it's um, no, well, never mind. But um, <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting that there would be a professor, a Dutch professor there, because once again, there is going to be a very overseeable comparability between Dutch words and, and English words, and that I think is then very interesting, and that she thought about the the writer that is, and I don't know, I just thought that was cool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just to give you like an example of how it also can also work, like because you know. They have strong similar roots, and therefore, uh, can can make there can be there would be quite an amount of matching pairs, I think, between Dutch and English. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there is something interesting about that, and I, I don't think we'll get too into it because it's it's quite minute and it's quite complicated. Yeah, I would have loved to get into it, but it, once again, big episode already. So <laughs> yeah, and it, it's quite deep. But effectively, there needs to be a certain separation of languages in yeah. order for the pairs to work. Otherwise, they start losing their effectivity if the different words start almost fully map mapping into one another. Yeah, and the the the, the, the I was going to say the game Christ. The novel does play <laughs> with that. I think like oh yeah, it communicates not directly, but so maybe you can tell me what you think. But I I interpret it as the following. I thought that social processes affect matching pairs. So, like, the mm. change of language can have a noticeable change on um, the matching pairs, can have, like, um, how do you say? Like, can have a... Um, like there's, there's this worry that's expressed by, well, if English is going to be the world's language, then, like, a lot of different languages are going to disappear, and that might affect the civil work, right? Like, there's this passage... Well, I think there's that, but also there's a sense... Because of the the fact that all, all these children need to be familiar, they need to have a native experience with their language, like one that is almost inherent, that is internal. Uh, like the, the way they phrase it is that like uh, 
Robin dreams in Chinese. Yeah. And uh, that, that is something that allows him to maintain these different meanings. If those separations, if those languages become too porous or become way too close, then those differences that allows what is lost in translation uh, start disappearing. And thus, so do the match pairs and so do the powers. Yeah. So it's, it, it both plays with this very personal psychological experience of language and mm-hmm. language as a social, uh, social-cultural process, I think. Yeah. Once again... Uh, <laughs> Going to be so complimentary of this book, but uh, it's all and it's all genuine. I, tr- I promise. But yeah. um, the, the, the understanding of language then is so thorough and is so like the writer created this magic system that is at the same time easy to get. I think personally, and but at the same time goes very deep. Like you can ask so many interesting questions, and they all play. Yeah, with, at least a little bit. I once again. I'm a nerd, so I would I would love to be like get a bit more into it. But at the same time, there's something to say to not get that much into it. So an era of mystery remains. And yes, it, it's also very empire-like to just be like, well, we just go to the functional elements of it, and we don't necessarily care about really understanding it. Can it make my gun shoot faster? And can it make my boat sail faster or whatever? Uh, then we are happy actually, because empire. <laughs> and there's yeah. no. There's no, except for like a handful of people at Babel itself, the, the po- <laughs> Christ, I don't know if this is the right word for it, but the virtuosity of academia or like of understanding of science is not necessarily thoroughly applied. It is just another functioning, another, well, another factory, if anything, the factory yeah. of all factories within <laughs> the industrialized wasteland that is British Empire. And I, I think that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna stop there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you're right. Like it is very simple to to learn to grasp at, but very difficult to master how silver working really works, functions, and ceases to function as well. And well, there, there's there's something to be said about that, and we'll get to it. Yes. Uh, very soon. Yes. But <laughs> the, the the general sense is that <laughs> the current headings of the empire will also doom silver working, but right, that's that, not important. Yeah. <laughs> that is something that, that is mentioned and I found very interesting. Like, you know, like if it spreads so far, then eventually like makes itself obsolete in a way. I think that's how I interpreted it. Or do you... Well, uh, worse than that, it uh, nullifies the silver working powers. Yeah. It like, it absolves itself. And... Um, yeah. Yeah, I found that very interesting. Um so the the empire in all its, its ultimate creations is also deeply harming itself as empire does. Yes, precisely. And I think the 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 author painstakingly takes a tremendous amount of like effort in writing a story in which it makes clear that there is no inherent virtue to empire. That So it's... shall we talk about empire then? Yeah, I get I, I guess. Yeah, let's let's do that. <laughs> Carry on, sorry. So yeah, the the conceptualization of empire is then, once again, very thorough and very important that it doesn't show that there's no inherent virtue to either British people or any empire for that matter, because it's not the only <laughs> empire out there. It yeah. is the empire at the moment, as the British Empire was at the early 19th century. Um, but there's no inherent virtue to them becoming thus other than 
well, once again, there's no virtue involved. There's just the willingness to ruthlessness. There's the willingness to, um, or I don't know, maybe not willingness, but like ap ap the apathic uh, attitude towards like this just severe sense of ennui and apathy towards human suffering, which is what makes empires, right? Or yeah, what what, what do you think? <laughs> no, I think that's pretty accurate. That's that's how empire and, and the narrative of empire, which we again we will we see painstakingly placed out in the novel, not just in theory and in practice, but in a uh, state and individual level, state, mm -hmm. social and individual level. So it's um, to the to the point of being almost overbearing, which is also a point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, empire is everywhere and it is generally genuinely merciless yeah because there's no such thing as a merciful empire right like that no. would be as yeah that's a, and that's a problem i think in fiction in general um mm -hmm. how they want like somewhat palatable empires um once again <laughs> a lot of the fiction then within fantasy i mean um is them resting on a more medieval sense of empire or a more classical mm -hmm. sense of empire which still not good, but I do think we should take care in um, separating uh, the conceptions of classical empire and colonial empire. And yeah. Because once again, classical empire is just an empire, and the British Empire is empire. Like there's the, the removal of an empire. It's empire. It's the system. It's the it's the <laughs> the royal empire, if you will. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. It is it's the system and everything that comes with within that system within that mode of operation. Yeah, beforehand, empire is like solely a political force or body. It is that nation or that group. It is the Roman Empire. It's that. And it is violent. It is destructive. It is exploitative. Yes. But it's not as pervasive, destructive, and horrifying as empire becomes later. Yeah. And we there's a lot of people like talking about how uh, how the Romans colonized people, and I do think once again we can have a nuanced discussion about colonization in classical era colonization yeah. under Roman Empire, and we can see a lot of prototypes. Um, like we can see, the, so personally, I would argue what the Romans did were was at best proto colonization. Um, yeah. The Persians did it before them, and like you know Egypt did it before them, and like so forth and so on, and it's that was more of a general mode of statecraft and occupation. And it doesn't yeah. encapsulate the inherent... Once again, I'm not claiming that, not, uh, that, no, that nothing terrible happened under this classical mode of colonization. <laughs> it is just when we say colonizing, we are obviously... Uh, we go to the part of like, you know, like European colonization post 1600s. Or like yeah. you know, like technically late fifteen hundred. Anyway, my my point being is that that is a fundamental. Well, in my humble opinion, is a fundamentally different form of colonization that people like to. Oh, I don't know if I want to get into this. Um, Historians would so to give an example. So to give an example. Yeah, fuck it. Let's just get into it because it's a special episode. I saw someone <laughs> online. Oh, I saw someone online refer to the Zionist movement as a land back movement. 
And I don't know what kind of brain rot you need to be on in order to, once again, Landbeck cannot go for like 2,000 plus year, like, you know, stuff, you know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, that's not how that works. And uh, once again, the old Judean kingdom, the old Israel kingdom, uh, northern Israel kingdom and the southern Judean kingdom were not process of colonization in the way, once again, fundamentally different terminology. At yeah. best, we can argue that there are some proto-elements to that type of colonization, namely that like the Romans built their infrastructure, they built like uh, like theaters and like they built um, like uh, gladiatorial stuff and like you know so they spread culture that was appealing mm-hmm. to a bunch of people, and yeah. so there are there are pro- proto elements to um, to that. That being said, even though Rome always was the most important, there was this sense of. We can have way more than nuanced discussion about this. There was, there was this sense of like, okay, you're now part of the Roman Empire. And yes. the British Empire never functioned like that in the same way. Namely, they were like, you're part of the British Empire now. But it essentially means you're never like us. And you cannot go to London unless we can exploit you further. And you kind of yeah. need to stay here. And we're going to take everything you have, actually. Lol. LMAO, <laughs> even. So yeah, that's fundamentally... Sorry, long story short. I don't like people using classical examples and calling it colonization when it is fundamentally different, I think. Oh, yeah. Entirely different phenomena. That's why I said historians would agree with you. Thanks. <laughs> but uh, anything else you want to say about empire? That's, uh, other than... <laughs> For <you know>. starters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's... It is this uh, endless beast. It is this consuming monster. Uh, that's Empire, uh, and I, I can't recommend enough uh, Edward Said's Imperialism, uh, Culture and Imperialism oh, yeah. to, to, to really drive the point home, and this book gets it, that imperialism, the way we understand it, empires, we're talking about it, it's not just about military conquest, territorial expansion, or a political body. It's a part of it's, it, but... <laughs> of course. But it's it's a deep sense of culture, of domination in every sense of that word, uh, from religious to political to cultural to even aesthetic. Uh, yes. It's it's deeply ingrained, and it wants to control and take over and assimilate all of it into itself. Yes. What in the book? This book sets it up in a fascinating way because. Robin and the others, they need to be assimilated into the Empire and into London and Oxford specifically. Yes. However, however, for the very nature of their purpose, that assimilation cannot be complete. And that is also a big problem. Because, yes, they need them to be proper English boys. They need them to, you know, be English in every sense where it counts. And yet, they still need to know these vile languages, which are just tools for them. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting then that it it tries to make of these people that come to Babel these then um what would be what we, what should we call them? Like I don't know. Um they essentially try to engineer them to be traitors to their people, essentially. Yes. And like <laughs> it is this local governor that has been bought by imperial, you know, favor or something, like coin or I don't know. It's like Essentially, a traitor to the people governing in favor of the of the of the oppressor, 
Like, yes. and that characteristic is then placed onto these Babel students or Babel faculty or what have you. It's, yeah. yeah, and I don't know, that's interesting. We should point out that, like, once again, the United States is also active and has, like, its own silver working as well, France as well. Um, yeah. Like, so, to, to, like, as a closing thought for what I want to say on, on Empire is that I understand, I totally, I think it's a good choice. I think, I don't think there's a better one, but I am always slightly, um, the only minor note that I have on this book is that, <laughs> Once again, you've changed history, but essentially British Empire is still British Empire, right? Like, I, is there a noticeable way, according to you, um, in which the empire deviates from British Empire? Mm. I'm not saying it should, because I think the book packs quite a wallop because it is so simple. But it is then yeah. a bit strange because magic is real, but the world still looks the same, mostly. Um, well, uh, again, I think it, it backs on the fact that this... This is only the start of the greatness of the empire in silver working. Yeah. So if we were to move ahead, excluding the events of the book, we would have come out with a very different result. So far, these things are, while present, still have not reached their apex in what they can accomplish. So I can reasonably argue or justify why things aren't that different yet. Yet. Okay. Yeah. Fair so they are, but it's it, it's almost as if we're seeing only the beginning of what Silverwork could do. Yeah. And you know, a couple of years down the line, that's when everything everywhere will change. I do love that uh, Charles Dickens is real. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. So that's always like a fun like, um, how what what is then real, what is then isn't real, and like Oliver Twist is real. Uh, one if yeah. Oliver Twist is like. I don't know, like steals a silver bar or something, something like that. This <laughs> universe version of Oliver Twist. Uh, lovely. Ugh, I, I, I love Robin so much. And like Robin is into Oliver Twist and it's like, he even gets like a book on it uh, by uh, someone. And I don't know. Oh, And into Gulliver. Gulliver's Travels. Yes, Gulliver's Travels. Swift. Which is, <sighs> oddly enough, a book I've, I also read quite a lot about via Tangent. Because of uh, the um, one of the, the one of the societies that Gulliver visits, that of the Huhims, uh, however the fuck you pronounce that, I've only ever read it, uh, which are the horse-like beings or horse beings uh, with enslaved humans, uh, they they are the closest thing to a utopian society. So that shows up in utopian studies quite a oh, lot. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I know more about that. I, I've read. Not all of Gulliver's Travels. I started quite a while back and never finished and never got to this one. But it shows up a lot. People really have talked about this this particular representation quite a bit. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think Robin is an amazing, compelling character. And I'll get back he to He is. But, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think one of the, the last kind of things to say about Empire before we, we move on, I think then we, we'll get to the full spoiler stuff. Yes. And, the stuff that happens and you know further into empire but this before all that oh yeah no i think the last thing i was going to say is how how good that mapping of silver of the silver working revolution into the industrial revolution oh, and yeah. how they, they they coexist but silver work just like you know imagine the the industrial revolution times five in terms yeah. of speed and intensity this is what's going on so it's somehow worse 
Yeah. Which I'm is like, also brilliant story wise. Building of infrastructure <laughs> cannot be realized so much faster. And like and therefore the pace of colonialism outstrips anybody who doesn't have silver working by such a tremendous degree. It's like essentially, once again, there's no great tactical superiority of Europeans over the rest of the world. Um it's just yeah. guns. Like what I said earlier, it's it's guns. Essentially, I don't want to. Okay, so once again, we can have a, there is a more nuanced depiction of the colonial history and like the process of it. But essentially, there's no inherent virtue. Once again, I think it's very important to European societies over any other society. It was guns. It was you know, it's, it's steel and guns, um, <laughs> boats with guns, gunboats, and it's. Um, I, I think that's that's once again. The silver work then amplifies the gun effect by, I don't know, like 5, 10, 20, 50, I don't know, a lot. How much you like. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so, yeah, that's who... It's a magic system. It's not really a magic system, as in you would expect in, like, modern contemporary fa- fantasy magic systems. But mm-hmm. its magic system is so thoroughly and diligently interwoven into this world in such yeah. a tremendous way. And is then interwoven with notions like empire resistance and political strife and culture yeah to such so the biggest compliment i give this book i can give this book is that everything works with capital w works it all flows into one another so pristinely beautifully like there's just sheer class of like you know how to craft your fictional world. And, you know, it does rely yeah. on the fact that there's just essentially actual history, but it's fine. I don't mind. Um, I think, that's, once again, if that's a purposeful choice and it allows you to focus so much on the things that are different, I think that's a very clever choice and is a way in we... Uh, well, anyway, other other fantasy, uh, alt history fantasy writers take note. That's all I'm saying. That's... Oh, yeah, please do. <laughs> like, because it justifies its setting so well. It is no, not just perfectly. a fun gimmick. Fun. Look, I just like 1800s history. Charles Dickens is fun. Or like, ha ha ha, I like Queen Victoria. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to sound. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what I mean. Like, uh, it's, isn't she yeah. fun, the Iron Lady? Um, it's, I believe that's her name. And um, it's just, I don't know. It's, it actually sh- shows a deep, uh, not necessarily, appreciation is the wrong word. But it, once again, this deep and profound understanding of the time frame that is chosen. And that's yeah. just, that's just, that's it. That's everything. <laughs> that is everything. That, that, that is everything. That is, um... Okay. I think, I think it's time to talk about spoilers and yes. get right into it. Yes. You go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it, this was obvious from the start of the book and the name. So the, the book to well, Babel, where, where does Babel come from? Um, <laughs> There are a few different things spoken about the book, but the general story that I'm aware of is, you know, the Tower of Babel, uh, famously struck down by God. Uh, So, and this Babel is also a tower. It had to fall, hadn't it? Uh, (laughs) And so it does. So, (laughs) that's uh, one of the key things. So, let's talk about how we get to it. And I, I think the best segue of getting via Empire there is about the characters and each of their relationship to Empire. So yeah. we've mentioned Robin, Cantonese, you know, he is at the forefront of the the Empire's new wing of expansion. That's where they want to go. They want to go into China. They want to face off China, you know, 
open it up for free trade of opium. Pretty great, isn't it? So he is the most valuable amongst them. And then we have Rami, who, you know, is uh, part of this <laughs> more established region of the empire, which is India. And, you know, he is this continuation and, you know, uh, this latent potential of what can be more further onwards into into also China and, and so on, but also of the upholding of empire in India. Yes. And then we have Victoire, which, as we found out uh, via her Haitian uh, upbringing and roots, although she was mostly raised in France, she she shares this deeper connection and cultural cultural relationship to to Haiti more than anything. Yeah, because France never allowed her to forget that. Her backstory is heartbreaking. <laughs> All oh, their yeah, backstories no, uh... are profoundly real and therefore even more violently heartbreaking, by the way. Oh, yeah. This is not an easy read, dear listener. <laughs> I'm sorry. To... Oh, no, it's it's an intense... <laughs> sorry to say this during the spoiler painful section. book. <laughs> <laughs> Should have said it a bit earlier. Anyway, sorry. Sure. Continue. It's so late now. <laughs> well, again, I, I think from what I've spoken already, like, it's quite obvious that the tower would fall. The Tower yeah. of Babel. It's, uh, it's in the name. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, now the deep spoilers are going to come soon. So <laughs> so that's them. Uh, and, and Victoire, in her Haitian connection, uh, is being asked quite a lot, we find out very late in the book, about uh, the potentials of French and uh, Haitian Creole for slavery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slavery via silver bar working and, you know, forcing control even more deeply and horrifyingly so yeah. in order to, you know, make slaves more docile, less resistant, more obedient. Yeah, that's a quite, like, once again, um, the, the examples that I put forward indeed, so thank you for talking about this. I've got actually, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of disappointed in myself, but like the, the examples that I because uh, once again, that's I have, a, I have a more macro vision of things and like, uh, <laughs> like also, oh God, Christ. Okay, so the notion of free trade is also really interesting, but never mind. Um, so well, we can get to that, don't you worry? Yeah, well, essentially, again, it's talk about empire, but never mind. Empire is everywhere, so it's going to be everywhere through this episode. So this, yeah, so like you said, the the, the elements that I pointed out by silver working is more like mechanical, operational, and even though this is also operationalized, it is deeply unsettling it's not just make guns shoot faster it is so thank you for pointing this out it is also um well we we get a couple of we experience a couple of horrendous usages of silver work in this book yeah um so, spoiler like robin gets caught doing something eventually and just the physical and psychological both use of silver work in torture is Horrifying is <laughs> the worst. It actually. reminds me of the Andor episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sanitized. It's very sanitized as well, which is very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, it's yeah. That doesn't clash with their notion of civility, which is not real civility in any meaningful way, obviously. Of course not. But... I mean, one of the examples we get, and this is one uh it's it's quite interesting when they talk about it. The students are offered a match pair in order to do their studies. Yeah. And one that <laughs> They they question whether it's not actual torture uh, instead of actually being useful because effectively if you're doing your coursework or studying whatever and if you get something wrong it doesn't tell you what you got wrong but you get a, like a you feel sick 
this deep nausea and you feel awful and it's like that's not helpful it's like yeah. oh you got something wrong what you get wrong who knows yeah well it's it's interesting because that would so once again i'm not to, not to get bogged down into this but it then portrays this omniscience prop um, omniscient property of silverwork and yeah. which is disturbing once again um mm-hmm. because once again how does it know how does that work how does the magic substance how does it inter- interweave within the physical permeable realm? And yeah. is there <laughs> a more metaphysical ontological realm in which this magic of silver work draws from? Is there this on- the ontological or Kantian hey. uh, objective? Yeah, well, you know, um, it's, <laughs> I think it's a righteous question. Um, it's, it's like, is there this uh, like realm of ideas, idealist, idealism realm or, and, um, it, the closest it gets to that is by talking about the notion of the Adamic language. Yeah. Maybe that's something we want to get into? Or do you feel like... Um, you don't maybe, have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. It, it is. Uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to get... Uh, not to get too sidetracked and like talking about the characters and their relationships to Empire in order to talk about okay. what happens to these characters. Sure. Let's let... Sorry. Yeah. No, let's, you're let's fine. Let's get into the book. <laughs> well, we are. We've never left it. Uh, which is great. That, that's the kind of things like we've been talking about all this. We've not left the book <laughs> right. at all. So that's uh, the the three of them. There's that's Robin, that's Rami, and that's Victoire. So Letty, the token white. <laughs> uh, it's true. Uh, she she she's a uh, no. I'll I'll say more. She's the token w- white feminist. Uh, not really feminist. Bourgeois though. feminists. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, token white feminist, which is, is it not quite feminist, is it? Um, not in any meaningful way. No. So she, she's a woman uh, in Oxford. She's got ease with languages, but she's not, she's not in the forefront. She's good in the classical languages, uh, you know, Greek, Latin, that kind of stuff, but not... German as well. Yeah, German, but not, any, not anything significant for empire. Yeah. And yet, well, she... She's native. She's from England. Her father's an admiral. Yeah. And she's got some daddy issues there. And th- she she's a supporter of empire, generally speaking. Uh, <laughs> that's clear from the very start. You know, trying to... But the empire does this. But it does that. But what about this? Yeah. That kind of thing. And the others generally shut her down. Because... Uh, uh, she's this liberal notion of empire. This okay, yes. so um, she's the, the character is there to show the absurdity of having a liberal approach to empire, and B <laughs> how this liberal approach to empire, with tre- tremendous fastness, collapses into nothingness and is just a house of cards. Really, um, <laughs> not even that much. Maybe I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> and it's once again th- th- there's that that's the meta political function maybe, and there's also the um, Christ, we all have met a Letty, haven't we? We all we all have heard or witnessed a Letty somewhere in our lives, haven't we? Um, it's <laughs> it's they they are always there. We all everything that Letty says, I have heard a white person and you know predominantly white women say. I will find an example for us. Carry on. Okay. Yeah. No. And uh, just real quick, I don't really want to get into it because uh, once again, too, we have too much on our plate, but. 
there's this more interesting debate to be had about how how like mainly cis white women um are kind of in an odd place right now with their their, their bourgeois feminism in a sense that like they function within society based on their performance of womanhood and on their and then their chokehold on the idea of femininity and womanhood and you know because it's theirs and it's mainly theirs and then if they are somewhat gracious maybe it's also transgender people can have a say but you know they they are the predominant woman according to themselves and this this whole notion of like how how their womanhood then supersedes or their perception of womanhood or their practice and the picture uh, the depictment of womanhood then supersedes any racial cultural um claims to wrongness to to like you know like <laughs> critique of them is then all like superfluous because once again woman i'm a woman i'm oppressed right so yeah i don't know yeah that's and, that's exactly letty um, I've heard yeah. a good example. When, when things really start going wrong and, you know, uh, Rami, Robin, Victoire, they're all like, yeah, you know, we get it. Like, of course, th- th- this is what we must do. It's it's clear uh, when they start uh, going, uh, well, not openly, but kind of uh, openly against Babel and against the Empire. And uh, But Letty's with them still. So they're trying to kind of hide it from her. Uh, but then she kind of shows up, and then they're trying to explain it to her, you know, about the empire, whatever. And and then and then she says this. But but if inequality is the issue, then couldn't you have gone for the university? There are all sorts of aid programs, missionary groups. There's yeah. philanthropy, you know. Why couldn't we just go to the colonial governments? And that's a bit difficult when the whole point of the institution is preserving the empire, said Victoire. But Bell yes. doesn't do anything that doesn't benefit itself. But that's not true. They contribute to charity all the time. I know. And so on and so on. And then Victoire says, did you know that Babel sells bars to slave traders? Yeah, it's... I, I, we could have done a whole episode but just talk about quotes, I feel. They are so oh, many yeah. rich and poignant quotes. Uh, I will then quickly talk about a minor one. But because it's a minor one, I, I like it a lot. And I don't necessarily... I haven't written it down, I'm sorry. But it's, it goes something along the lines of, um, Victoire doing her entry exam and doing mm-hmm. it in Creole and uh, saying like, well, it works perfectly because once again, her mastery of Creole and French and English and whatnot is perfect almost. She is maybe like, once again, she's very smart. Remy, uh, Victoire and uh, Robin are all three profoundly, intensely intellectually gifted people. Um, yes, which is worth saying. I feel because once again, exploitation, and and like, <laughs> and how little praise they get by being profoundly more talented than probably anyone at school, by the way. But that's not a hint. Mm-hmm. Um, so this interesting moment where she makes a matching pair in her exam for silver working, and then the examiner is like, "Yeah, well, that's great. Fucking useless though, uh, because nobody cares about Creole," and. And she comes out and is like, well, then I did an English-French pair and like worked or something. I don't know which pair she did, actually, but she did a different language. And um, when she comes out and says, oh, the Creole one was perfect, but it had limited application, according to the examinator. Letty says, oh, were you allowed to do a different one? Like, and, oh, Christ. 
that is so masterfully written, I feel, because it shows exactly <laughs> how Letty's, how the Letty's of the world, uh, Letitia's, uh, think. And, like, she doesn't, for a moment, give sympathy, like, oh, man, that sucks. Wow, what a pig-headed guy. Like, I, I'm sure Creole French has use. No, she immediately acknowledges the argument of the of the uh, this idiot examinator, and like as well, can you can you repair your mistake? Because I agree, it was a mistake. Because Creole is a bit stupid, isn't it? Um, it's <laughs> once again, she doesn't say that flat out. She doesn't say anything horrendously offensive flat out until the end, and or like yeah. at least towards the end, I would say. But there are such deep seated notions of inequality. Oh no, that's not true. She just flaps out to Robin the notion of civility and civilization. So she does say something horrendously offensive. But then Robin is like, this is early on in the book, and it's like, hey, that notion of civility carries a lot of baggage. Be careful. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Um, so once again, we can simp... <sighs> we can, with a lot of asterisks, sympathize with the character of Letitia. If the characters of Letitia, the Letitias or Letties in the world are in any way, shape, or form sincere in their in their attempts to renounce their, I don't know, <laughs> their empire-honed cognition. Well, um, I'll, I'll put it simply. If they were willing to listen, which she was not. Yeah, if they were sincere in their, in their will to change for the better and to embrace the other as an equal then, once again, we should, I think, as exhausting as these people are, I do, at the end of the day, I guess, <laughs> we, we need to embrace <laughs> those people, up to a point. Yeah. Um, they need <laughs> to understand that this incredibly exhausting and they're going to need to be patient and have to be, you know, assertive and, like, you know, carry most, of, do most of the work in that regard. But yeah. I do think we need to eventually still, you know, keep reaching out, as difficult as that is. And, well, I'm going to stop there because that's going to get him into my notions of how to fight Empire. And I kind of want to say that for the last thing. That's okay. Because that's what... <laughs> yeah, that's, no, perfect. That, that's a very emotional subject. So I don't know. I don't want to... Yeah, no, that, that's where I'm going, really. Yeah. And I think that that leads us to, to exactly what I meant with she's never listening. And I think that'll be sort of the semi-last or the last point, uh, yeah. just to round it up neatly uh, and posit um, positively, I suppose, or, uh, you know, in a shinier light, given what, what will happen. So um, it is significant in, in this regard because, yeah, Letty believed in empire. And, you know, in, in these moments, just as I mentioned, where she she uh, she breaks down and, and the characters like the uh, Robin mentions to us, like as, as he was thinking and realized later that like what graded into her into him, uh, Victoire and Hermie the most is how um, after all the, the pains and the difficulties that they had just told her and shared to her, uh, Letty was the one that needed comfort, not them. Yeah. And, and right. okay, that's all, that's terrible. That's awful and that's grating. But even then, there's still a lot of moments and a lot of different circumstances where Letty wa was making good choices, was making, was choosing to, to be with them, to stand with them. And then, to no one's surprise, she betrays them. Yes. For a shitty reason, really. Like there's no, there was <laughs> well, no. Empire. Thank God the writer didn't go for like something sympathetic or something. Like she just. Well, nothing could be sympathetic about it. Well, like I don't know. Maybe like 
if she was like intimidated or like harassed by a person of the Hermes society or whatever, like that would have been then somewhat sympathetic maybe, or then she would have had a more direct personal reason to do the actions that she undertook. And there's yeah. no such thing. Thank God. Uh, God. And <laughs> she doesn't do just betraying them. She, <laughs> um, she, I don't know. I think it's the true character of Laddie uh, that comes to, sh- comes to, comes out. A character yeah. that, uh, <laughs> who, um, I'm not going to get into on a psychoanalytical level, but would be very interesting to, um, that, that comes out like her true nature comes out as she, once again, uh, she pulls a gun on our, on our friends. Well, she, she ch- tells the cops where they were because by this time they're, uh, they're being hunted by the police because, uh, well, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Robin committed patricide. Yes. So this professor... He killed Lovell. Yes, Lovell <laughs> is the actual... Uh, illid, um, his, like, ba- uh, how do you say this? Well, it's his natural father. Yeah. Um, Lovell has a family, a proper English family, but he also, uh, you know, um, had intimate relations, willing or not, we don't know. And I, hmm, hmm, uh, that's a whole history there of like British higher ups having illegitimate ch- uh, children with colonial, um, you know, people and or people from colonies, I should say. And yeah, uh, Robin is one of those. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not the only one. Because maybe we won't get into that. Is that? Open? Yeah, um, I, I suppose briefly. Uh, yeah, real quick. Don't yeah, there, there's a lot, and we've been here for a while, and we'll be here for a little while still. Yeah. Um, so quite early on in in, in Babel, uh, Robin is introduced or meets Griffin, Griffin Lovell, as he introduces himself, fellow uh, stepbrother to Robin, uh, another, half-brother. yeah, half brother. Uh, yeah, yeah. English is weird. Um, <laughs> he, he introduced himself as being part of, because uh, effectively what happens is Robin kind of stumbles onto him, pulling, a, well, stealing from Babel, and Robin just instinctively helps them uh, to run away. Yes. Oh, my boy. I love him so much. Sorry. Butting. And uh, And Griffin wants to recruit him for the Hermes Society, uh, which is effectively a sort of resistance group uh against empire and it's loose and it's uh uncertain and it's very decentralized because uh well empire and imperial uh vigilance so (laughs) then robin starts doing jobs for him and uh kind of well finding out a bit more about but not realizing it he he sees and hears all this from Griffin, his half brother, and but it doesn't hit. It's not concrete. Uh, it's like yeah, he he believes him and and all that, but he won't. He doesn't. It's difficult for him to let Babel go, to let Empire go. He has been assimilated, but well, that the, then we have the the circumstances that lead us to to patricide. Uh. They're all going on a journey to, to Canton, even, back to Robin's home. And there they find out, why were they there? They're there in, 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 for one of the trading companies, Jardine and Matheson. Uh, I intend to Google whether they were historical or not. 
Probably, but if not, they, they certainly have equivalents uh, to which they are referring to. And uh, the idea is to give cause for uh, the empire to start a war with China. The Opium Wars, as I, as I mentioned briefly at the start. That's why they were there, to be testimonies to, yeah, a war needs to happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that sort of pushes Robin over the edge, especially in his relationship with his father. Yeah. Um, there is this really odd scene beforehand where Lovell shows, like, a, a grain of sympathy for Robin, but yeah. without challenging any notion of the evil of empires. Like, yeah, it couldn't have been easy for you, by the way, lol. Um, anyway, whatever, I guess. Shrug. And... <laughs> Robin is almost like in this state of disbelief. Uh, <laughs> like he doesn't. And then I was like, oh God, how, where is this going to go? And then it immediately pulls a 180 because Robin doesn't want to be a tool for empire. And as a translator to the Chinese, he refuses to like, you know, go along with it all. And yeah. it's like, what have you done, Robin? And he all this all this repressed anger because first off kudos to robin um for being as sociable as he is he's a bit yeah awkward, but given his upbringing that child is a miracle one it's like a miracle it's like a wonder yeah. in social sociality and like quite a socializer given the utterly recluse and horrendous upbringing that he must have had um yeah anyway it's it's ah uh, um such an interesting notion. Uh, this whole, this whole like repressed identity of Robin finally emerging when he sees Lovell in action. Yeah, I mean, what you were mentioning before, and perfectly at it, that Lovell is the perfect encapsulation of empire. Yes. He is this polished academic, serious person, respectable, has an important position, is relevant to the empire. And is also fomenting a war uh, <laughs> yeah. for the benefit of empire. So, you know, perfect encapsulation there. And, you know, is, uh, is an authoritarian himself, is violent to his, uh, to his bastard children. Because, uh, you know, we, we find out very early on that if Robin slacks off uh, in any way, he receives a pretty gruesome beating. Yeah, um, that opening scene is heartbreaking. The even as a child, like he spends one day on like reading an adventure story, and oh, there is this haunting line where that happens. Like, well, that's one good thing about you. You don't cry uh, because Robin manages not to cry when he gets his ass beat by yeah. uh, by Lovell. For, once again, an extremely minor offense. But this offense, because he doesn't dedicate himself to what Lovell wants him to dedicate to, is to a person like Lovell, a insult of an unimaginable magnitude. It is, because once again, that's, what he, that's why he brought Robin over. And does he want to go back and back on the streets of Canton? Hmm, does he? And like, I'm giving a chance, I'm uplifting this little useless thing into, and I'm shaping it in something useful. And yeah, the fact yeah. that then that has also happened to Griffin, but he lifted Griffin up too early. And yeah. it's like, like Robin is a process of 
like I don't know. It's like <laughs> it's this linguistic bread that is in often and was pulled out too early or something. Like it is just I don't know. Like but Robin was in the oven just the right amount of time. Like it's ah oh, um the process and dehumanize de dehumanized vision of it all is accurate and horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna leave it. And there. even better than uh, <laughs> Lovell expected. Uh, yeah. Given uh, given what happens then, because the thing is, yes, they're all there to sort of sort of foment or give reason for the war, but uh, in a Robin's ca uh, personal candidness with the uh, Chinese uh, ambassador, I, no, not ambassador, um, I know officer, something like that. Yeah. Um, the officer just um, destroys a lot of opium. <laughs> yeah. And nothing pisses uh, Empire more than the destruction of their property and commodity. So uh, that's why Lovell and the others are furious. Not because of the slight, not because of that, but because they lost so much money and merchandise. And why they leave in a hurry. Uh, in order to, you know, okay, we, we took a major loss, but now, now we're going to get it all back with the war. Yeah. And uh, in in the boat, when it's like, in that dialogue that you mentioned but Robin at this point is like quite over the edge because he wanted to see in person what opium did uh, so he went to an opium den yeah. and uh, yeah uh, had a pretty pretty bad experience uh, in uh, in this moment with uh, Lovell he's having a uh, things start getting heated because he's like furious at this point because like but no this is natural this is, this is what must happen this is for, yeah. for the benefit of Empire, whatever. There could not be anything else, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, Robin b brings back a very old slide that he kept repressed for a decade, more than a decade at this point, um, that, you know, Lovell saved him from the cholera. And yeah. he was in the area while his mother was still alive, but he chose not to save her. He chose yeah. to save only him, out of design, of course. And uh, Robin is questioning him on it. And it's like, what do you care? She was only a woman. He said that before, I think. But uh, this time, Robin's not having any of it. And he's like, say her name. And it's like, what is this silliness? And then he's like, and then it all goes to a breaking point, And um, Robin kills him. Yeah. With a silver bar. Of course. The irony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a silver bar he had given him. <laughs> yes. I don't know why he would do that, but whatever. Yeah. Maybe. He, I mean, it, I, it, it, it's, a, it's a good idea because it shows the arrogance and um, his his idea that he is impervious to of course. a lower being like Robin, uh, you know, like any attempt, like, you know. Yeah, and he, he had yeah. given it to him uh, for, for, for the listeners because he Robin had kind of been caught doing Hermes stuff. Uh, in order to cover for Victoire and uh, Rami. Yeah. And he... Uh, what? what uh, and um, Lovell tells him a story about how Griffin had killed someone uh, in cold blood. And he used that very bar. Um, and later we find out that it's uh, never as simple as it sounds. It was probably much worse. And ends gruesomely, as all things do in this book. Yeah. And that's how, how he has this lethal bar. 
not just a silver bar, a lethal armed bar. Yeah. Uh, which Robin uh, kills his father. Yeah, it is like a bar that allows you to press a shotgun to someone's chest cavity, essentially. Um, I think from the inside out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, I don't know how to conceptualize <laughs> that then. But essentially, it's devastating. And the book then, I don't know if this is the intention, I don't want to say it is, or I don't want to say it isn't either, but becomes surrealistically comical when they have to hide Lavelle's body. Yeah. It's like, like, what do we do? Do we put it in the chest? Oh, no, wood floats. Ah, fuck, what do we do with the chest? <laughs> and they're like, you know, and then people are onto them, like, immediately. It's like, are they going to get away with this? And thank God they're not. Um, because that would have been quite something, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what spirals them all into, you know, kind of running away and hiding and having to confide in Letty and Letty uh, betraying them. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm uh, slightly paraphrasing the book, Breaking the World. Yeah. Which is everything. Which is everything. Because, you know, they've always been the four of them together. And... Yeah. And the three of them can make it work, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could. But... Uh, Letty shoots Rami yeah. um, in in cold blood. Like, it's not... Yeah, it's in cold blood. And uh, Rami dies. And uh, Victoire and Robin are taken into prison and uh, are tortured <laughs> and then uh, broken out by Griffin. Yeah. And then they, um, the two of them, they, they run away. Griffin doesn't make it. Yep. But then they come out with a plan. With the yep. only thing they can do in order to try and stop the Opium War. Uh, Quite so. So they uh, they take Babel. Yes, they occupy Babel. Yeah. Because uh, as Griffin once mentioned before, um, they're just a bunch of scholars. You hold them up with a gun, they're not really going to hold up that well. Yeah. Um, and they don't. <laughs> they really don't. So they take the tower. Uh, a few other people, a uh, few other students, and two professors decide to stay. Yes. And then the siege begins. I will like uh, Professor name again, Professor Kraft. Professor. Uh, professor Kraft. Yeah. And Professor she... Chakravarti. Yes, uh, Professor Kraft is, I believe, a white woman. So it's yes. like. She's the letty that could have been, I guess. Sure. Exactly. Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, this book isn't like, um, I don't know how to phrase this, but it is not engaging in any like, ha ha ha, white people are bad or whatever. It's is this very historically accurate? And like, hey, the colonialism mainly perpetrated by white people is horrendous, and it is it happens in this and this and this form, and like, yeah, uh, you have your John Browns, so to speak, you know. You do have yeah. your meaningful white people here and there. They are few and far between, and I, I agree with that assessment. They sort of, <laughs> it, it is it is you know it it is just objectively true based on historical, you know yeah. records. Um, and you know you will have like it's you will have a token white person. I guess I don't know. It's uh, yeah, that is sometimes good. That is sometimes not the worst. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was a very mature or like I don't know mature. If that's the right word for it. A very uh, thoughtful. Let's let's just say that very thoughtful yeah, edition. I agree. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So um, 
I just want to say one more thing before uh, Babel and we will get into the, the, the final thing about like resistance, yeah. I think. Um, I do find this... <laughs> okay, so real quick, on the notion of free trade. Uh, mm-hmm. In this last thing I'll say about Empire and Babel and whatnot. But um, it is very important that this book talks about two things, free trade and the book by uh, Adam Smith, uh, The Wealth of Nations. Because once again, you will have... Uh, if You will be led to believe by co- contemporary discussions about the the wealth of nations like it's this it is essentially the communist manifesto for capitalists you know um which is not true so many (laughs) modern day uh, capitalists do not agree with sam smith's notions in a way that like sam smith was in favor of government interference was in favor of unions up to a point um it's like was was reasonably anti-colonial uh, yeah, that notion is interesting one, and it has been too long for me to since I have read Evolve of Nations because <laughs> well, again I did that in high school to to show off because I I didn't know what to do, um, because I was told that I was not very smart because of because of my ADHD and dyslexia. Uh-huh. Turns out I just needed the right the right uh, setting and you know um, some yeah. uh, actual good therapy and hey all of a sudden <laughs> I can learn surprise surprise. Uh-huh. Um, so that was like. A, this uh, this great eagerness to learn and like look at classics because I once again I didn't have any guiding uh, <laughs> principles or whatever or anyone to introduce introduce me to anything so I was like what's important and like the Wealth of Nations came up and I was like okay I will read this then I guess I don't know <laughs> it's uh, read a bunch of interesting books because of that not important one final note I did uh, I've had a really odd relationship with class and like the fluctuations of like I guess fortune or standing. Uh, throughout hmm. my life um because once again i have one parent that is quite well uh, well I, I don't know if the disparity is as big as lovell and the mother of robin but um i recognize some of that in a way less severe degree um mm-hmm. in the sense that once again really rich successful dad less so mother and like you know so mm-hmm. i was part of both classes at the same time sort of kind of there's a more nuanced mm-hmm. discussion to be had there and i will sure i'll visit in another episode we don't have time now i'm so sorry <laughs> trying to go, get through this as fast as i can without being flippant um so once again i did uh, go to like a like a private high school for a bit not in not for all the years but for like the final couple of years and uh because once again uh my de- <laughs> my father recognized that i had use um i was useful so he funded mm-hmm. me going to a, uh, a a private school which had like four or five other classmates in total per lesson. And once again, for my ADHD, this was amazing. And I did so well there. And once again, this is money put to uh, direct correlation with standing class and money to being able to achieve in society. The, the, mm-hmm. Thoroughly dispelling this notion of meritocracy. And it's, uh, once again, kind of stresses enough, and I'm very aware of that. And if that makes me a fake leftist because I've my, my father is well off, uh, so be it. But uh, <laughs> I probably have nothing interesting to say to you anyway, if, if that's, that's the opinion that you have. Uh, not you, Frank, obviously, but <laughs> any, but like, <laughs> Thank you. But like online, you know, online leftist class. Course. We talked about this a little bit in Andor, I think. But um, yeah, moving on. Um, <laughs> talking about like saying things and like, pronunciations or like um, language I recognize the insecurities portrayed within the white Babel students quite well and mm. by being masked by ostentatious racism and displays of wealth or like familiar wealth and riches you know mm. and the thing that I used to do <laughs> this, once again I'm so sorry for this long anecdote but the thing that I used to do was <laughs> 
like pronounce high-end fashion brands slightly wrong, but in a way that they think that's how you pronounce it. So they like they were so insecure that when I pronounced it slightly different, they were like, "Oh, oh, is it like that? Oh, I didn't know. Oh my god, I'm so sorry." And like, why, why do you care? Why do you, why do you? And I don't know. It, it, this this preliminary interest in other in things outside themselves, outside their culture, outside their environment, is only there to like either capitalize on seeming to be cultured or well traveled in front of their peers. Or in a prelude to potential expo- exploitation, and mm-hmm. this book captures that. And I saw that in action to once again a less jarring degree. But the remnants of that mentality are still there. And I once again, the way that they talk is the same way that I hear these book uh, these people in Babel talk. It's once again it was different, obviously, but the same kind of totally devoid of empathy like this total apathetic disposition mm. that they have this total lack of understanding how things are actually working and this total lack of wanting to understand how things are actually working because it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how things are working if you are profiting from it why why mess with a good thing you know um if you mm-hmm. are getting if you get to hold up your hands in front of the golden goose laying uh, the golden egg laying goose then why ask why the goose is there to begin with? Why ask why the goose is in change in chains and like <laughs> looking quite starved? Who cares? Uh, it doesn't matter because you are getting gold, gold, Frank, gold, gold, uh, gold. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. <laughs> so um, once again, the, the the all the details work so well. And the one final notion about like free trade because they talk about free trade. And China doesn't want free trade. China practices state mercantilism up to a point, and or like you know state governed and like more uh, top down type of economy, which is also the case for the British Empire up to a point, but okay, structured differently, right? And is generally similar to how things are done today. Yes, also, but they use oh, free trade as a casus belli, essentially, yes. because China is not interested in British goods. They are only interested in British silver, which gives China the largest deposit of silver, which is the main reason for war. And this is so accurate because so many preludes to to war and to any concerns, any empathetic concerns that the populace of European nations might have had, are pacified thoroughly by the notion that the other unsavage, the uncivilized worlds, because people at Babel talk about China like, oh, this concubine having decadent fuckheads in China. They they don't they don't know how to govern. Uh, you wouldn't want to live there. It's terrible because how can anything good come from that? And then that is immediately followed up by a passage. How many how many um, out out of wedlock children one of the governors has, I believe, or another person high up in the British Empire. Like no, mm-hmm. he doesn't have eight out of wedlock children. He only has two, <laughs> which then is like at least have a concubine. Then at least the children then fit in the political structure up to a point. Um, <laughs> so it dispels these notions that it, they toss up this ball of criticism and like smack it down so wonderfully thoroughly that is chef's kiss. Um, but this this idea of pacification of remotely as slim as they were remotely empathetic concerns that some Europeans might have had what happened overseas are then thoroughly dispelled by this notion that they need our enlightened economic models and they need our enlightened enlightened administrative uh, governance because they can't do them themselves. 
the burden of the white man, if you will. And the, oh, it, it, that is such a... So yeah, this, this free trade and enlightened economic model, uh, the conviction of their enlightened economic models through free trade, as a casus belli is such a viscerally real and important element of yeah. empire that I have not witnessed someone execute in a fictional setting so well and for so long. I think uh, <laughs> a memory <laughs> called Empire cut close. I think, yeah. but once again, it shows to focus on more of cultural aspect. And yeah, this one which is fine, the economical the one. Well, I think this one does the cultural, economical, political, everything one, yeah. uh, which is <laughs> Yeah, it does why, everything. Yes, which is why it's such a spectacular book and we recommend you read it. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, sorry for that little tangent. I think, once again, that's the last thing I have to say uh, about Empire. Uh, let's get into the, the, the final part, if you will. Yeah, of course. So, uh, I think one of the things that is most significant about that point is that, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of holding up a, a siege. So, they're, they're stopping all functioning of the, of the uh, Civil War scholars it, it, that have access to Babel's direct resources. The silver, the tools, the place, all that. And uh, <laughs> they, they're, they're kind of doing a, a weird kind of strike. And eventually they start getting support from other protesters who are protesting against, you know, the uh, the silver working or the silver, yeah, the silver working revolution. Uh, who, you know, were uh, factory workers who now no, don't have a job people who have become victims of this industrial revolution, so to speak. Yeah. Silverworks leads to a great amount of automation and thus structural disappearance of uh, jobs. Yeah, extremely quickly, which, you know, leads to, to conditions, as we've we talked about, quite well described by Charles Dickens. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the, we are seeing industrialization taking place and we're seeing the resistances against it because they were fucking many. There were quite a lot. And, uh, you know, one shouldn't dismiss the Luddites that quickly. Uh, <laughs> just want to put that out there. Because uh, it, it has been done quite a lot. From the people I follow and, and the way I've been looking at it, less. But uh, still, one, one should take note. And and the point is that it's quite a, an organized movement of, you know, resistance and striking and opposition. And they're the ones that end up supporting the... The Babel occupation. Yeah, this gridlock and this uh, <laughs> this strike, so to speak. Yes. The, real quick, like the book understands the value of solidarity. Through yes. Striking and unionizing and organizing. Um, the yeah. strength of community that plays then a tremendous role within this circuit. Yeah. Without this, they wouldn't have made it, simply. Yes. And it's very important that level in the beginning, because we, we get acquainted by these rebels with this... Uh, this, this group of people that gets described as rebel by Lovell. Like, oh, mm -hmm. well, what are they going to do? Fucking idiots. I'm sure they'll disappear because they have no focus. They have no uh, institutional, how does, how does he put it? Institutional uh, conscious. They have no, he doesn't think anything of them as, he has this, just keeping it short, he has this typical British arrogance towards them. Yeah. <laughs> typical upperclassman uh, rhetoric. Yeah. And he's wrong. We get to show at the end, Long after he's dead, we get to show that he is wrong fundamentally, as he is about oh, pretty deeply. much everything. About everything, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> In this gridlock, as, as things start, because effectively what they want to do is pressure Parliament into not going to war. Yeah. Into not doing the Opium Wars. 
and they they're effectively ignored until they start not being able to be ignored because uh, the remember that bit about they making themselves dependent and important and crucial and the civil work depending on them well um we start seeing a visual damage of that a chapel collapses in in another oxford building another department and and then other things start happening because that all that daily use of silver for carriages for functioning for trains for all that stuff that starts not working anymore accidents start happening things start going weird and then there are lots of questions about what should be what should we do because they're still ignoring us or they're still not doing much and how do we do that something that of note the tower not only has a silver resource the academics the intellectual resources whatnot it has at the very top uh, a hidden room which has like these resonance bars which are kind of like um conduits for pretty much the remaining silver working so if you take those off all that other silver working stops working yeah it has this radio tower functioning i suppose exactly so if you if you start pulling those rods out of functioning or out of place um things stop working or like a central power plant depending on, depending on how you want to conceptualize it exactly yeah and uh the, the at one point, they start getting, no, stop doing this, or um, they start getting threatened by Parliament, and, you know, they end up sending the army, which kind of doesn't do much and sort of holds up and not wanting to get on a direct engagement with the general pe- populace of Oxford, uh, <laughs> because, you know, that's that's not very good. Of course, as things start getting more and more intense, oh, boy, um... Robin and the, the few there start realizing, well, well let's, let's take these resonance rods off. And they do. And they collapse Westminster Bridge, for example. And other landmarks start falling apart. It becomes more visual, more dramatic. And they, you know, they're not respected, they're not valued, they're ignored. And they're a threat to be contained, detained, stopped, eliminated. And we, we reach a solution because what happens a lot at this point is what can we do to stop this war and we don't want to be you know uh apocalyptic in taking down these rods and in destroying everything and making everything stop working but anything aside from that isn't working yeah it shows this classical uh moral and also political organizational uh, element of how empire keeps its own people hostage in a yeah way. in a not in a non-direct way but by by putting these in, uh, important uh, infrastructural things uh, buildings whatever <laughs> like tools essentially these institutions that function like tools and stuff by putting these in densely populated neighborhoods by putting these in like you know in things that affect people uh, if they're attacked by, uh, you know, terrorist activity, that is. Um, yeah. It, it then is very easy to then say, oh, look at the, at, at the uh, structural damage surrounding it and how it affects the people that didn't ask for that. They were just living their lives around it. Like, oh, aren't these terrorists bad? Don't ask what we are doing overseas. Just don't, don't ask. Don't shut up. Uh, look, exactly. look, at, look at this. And 
yeah, I don't know. It understands this classical question of like, how far are we allowed to go? And how far can we go without losing ourselves? And yeah, yeah that's, that is a question that I would argue does not have a permeable answer, obviously. No, no. I, I, it's like the book portrays an outcome, but is yes. it an answer to that question? Well, it's Robin who is... Con- <sighs> Poor Robin. Um, Poor Robin. <sighs> um, Robin who is... Who had to watch Remy die? All, this all happens so fucking fast. He yeah. had to watch. He he barely gets time to process his petrocyte, which once again doesn't feel guilt about. But it, well, he does see the family of Lovell, and um, he does feel bad for the children. I suppose, sort of, kind of. But mm-hmm. um, once again, he he might have dealt with Lovell quite well. Then Remy, and then his half brother Griffin. And it's painful how happy they were in Hermes and were surrounded by kindred spirits. Even though I do think it's very interesting that Hermes, within his ranks, has the the Griffin ideology and has the uh, Antoine. uh, What's his name again? Anthony. 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 Antoine. I'm so surprised. (laughs) I wasn't wrong. Um, It's uh, Anthony, um, American, uh, Afro-American, I believe. Yes. Um, he, um, He had been enslaved. Yes. I think he has an interesting ideology for someone who had to went to go through slavery, but that's mm-hmm. sure, whatever. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but um, he is then juxtaposed to Griffin, and so Hermes does not have the only uh, thing that Hermes increase uh, increase on on a cohesive level is that something needs to be done. What is to be done? This is un- this is not always sure. Um, and, and once again, there's a strong argument to be made that, that it shouldn't be always sure. It should always be a debate. It should always be up to, up to you know, it should always be a democratic process. It should always be uh, highly pragmatical and based on the situation at hand and so forth and so on. Like, praxis is good and fine, but it isn't everything. And yeah. if, so, okay, no, let's not get bucked down into that one. But it, it, I think it's very interesting to see this Griffin Griffin uh, ideology versus Anthony ideology. Anthony yeah. being being a reformer, I guess. Yeah. And believing in reformation, believing in institutional restructuring, whereas Griffin is the bitter is is the bitter consumed by like the rejection of Lovell and has seen I don't know has seen I, I don't want to say has seen a different side of empire. Maybe because I don't want to dis I don't want, don't at all want to dismiss Anthony's perception of empire or say it's less thorough or less good, but it has at least okay at least what we can say is it has affected Griffin Griffin deeper or like um, yeah. differently not deeper but differently, and <laughs> Griffin has a more fundamentalist I don't know um how would you describe it um uh, more confrontational uh, scorched yeah. earth type you yes. know policies and uh when griffin dies and after having gone through everything that robin has to go through this this uh, this this ideology is the only thing robin inherits from griffin uh in a, in a meaningful because he's, he's in constant pain so this is one way to sort of self-immolate himself yeah um it's funny that during this occupation of babel both victoire and Robin, <laughs> um, because they are so smart and 
they they essentially have this a little microcosm of of political language back and forths. Yeah. Um, they have this 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 <laughs> crash course in revolutionary awareness, for lack of a better word. With with Victoire being in between Griffin and Anthony, I think. And yeah. Robin being on, just on, all the way on Griffin's side. Don't necessarily want to say there are sides to things. Once again, there's a whole nuanced discussion here that you can do a whole episode about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just going to... I'll just say what I think. And, and you can say what you do think. And uh, we can make a compare notes, maybe. Yeah. No, uh, we're, we're not going to go on for much longer. Yeah, only this is the last... energy. Yeah, no, this is the last part that I want to talk about, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, um, I tried to, for a while, articulate how I feel about the back and forth and the conceptualizations of revolution of resistance. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I don't have... <laughs> um, I don't have an answer to this. I don't. Uh, no matter how much I read, how much I think about it, there is no... There's no, you know, there's no given answer to any of this, right? It's no. It's so difficult and it's so disheartening. Um, fuck, before I forget, uh, there's a person that helps the, the, the strike at Babel. Uh, his name's Abel. And he yeah. also champions away, like, uh, rushes away some, some students at the end and, like, essentially explains to them how striking works. So, uh, real quick, <laughs> the last page here BM uh, Working Class Hero Award <laughs> for this month goes to Abel from Babel. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh Besides the point, um, so it's it's devastating all that is happening, and the only thing I have to say about it, and don't worry, it's it's really short, is that I I am afraid, like I'm so afraid that we will end up with a world with nothing but Robins in it, and that's mm-hmm. not doesn't that's not an indictment of Robin. Um, it's it's just. I understand it so well. I, I never went to what Robin went through, obviously, but I, I can't blame him. Almost, it's but that's just that is the unforgivable nature of empire, colonialism, neocolonialism, and up to a point, capitalism. It's it will make it. It allows for the creations of Robins, the Robins that that occupy Babel, yeah, and these Robins that that like. At the end of the day, and this is this sounds a bit like soft-hearted or like trite, maybe even, but <laughs> I guess the only way to prevent this is thoroughly practicing your leftist rhetoric, ideologies, and and anything really, um, your political you, realizing it through love for others. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Robin doesn't have love for others. I'm not indicting Robin on anything. It is just, I am terrified. Of um, of people who embrace this idea of uh, sacrifice, yes, yeah. sacrifice coming from Latin, uh, <laughs> from to be made sacred. Uh, yeah, Christ, yeah. Uh, it ends on some positive note with Victoire, I guess. Who makes it out? But Robin dies yeah. in in the rubble of Babel because he he stays behind. Yeah, because there's no way out for him anymore, and that's that's what I mean. But it's like, I don't know, like it, it is through this action that he maybe practices this notion of sacrifice, and uh, 
yeah as important as i think it is and i think it's so important that i would almost ascribe a notion of uh secreticity to it um <laughs> or like i don't know this 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 as at least this trans- transcendental property of self-sacrifice because that's what i believe um i don't believe in simplest notion between good and evil but that's what i believe what good is good can win over evil which might be stronger through self-sacrifice which is not what evil does mm-hmm. and once again it's a very hyper simplific notion but it is then the painful realization through robin that sacrifice as noble as it is is also terrifying and can't be the fundamental notion of of, of resistance i think do i then offer a very thorough alternative no i'm not smart enough to do that and i'm sorry for that but i i guess if i have to leave anyone with anything it's like please don't uh learn from robin i guess and try to not be end up like that i don't know it's <sighs> yeah that's everything uh <laughs> Yeah, I um, what I'm going to add to that in a much more vague sense and closer to a reading of the book is that the book understands that there is there's a necessity for an organizing, for a solidarity, and yes. for that reformist work as well. Like that is still important, but but and this this struck me quite intensely. The book does not shy away from a certain necessity, even of a revolutionary violence. Yeah, it's the that, subtitle of the book. Yeah. It's Babel, a necessity yeah. or a necessity for violence, I believe. <laughs> that's, a, that's a title. Indeed. Um, because ultimately, for all they do, all, all, the, all, all the striking, all the resistance, what will affect a sort of lasting change is that, and Victoire says so, and she's right, cowardly act of self-sacrifice because um, it's much harder to carry on living. Uh, through, you know, such constant, enduring, new, painful, horrifying trauma and reality. Yeah, there's this painful scene where she confronts him with that and tries to explain to him why he should go on, and she doesn't have yeah. the language for it. Yeah. Victor, you know, both two linguistic geniuses cannot reach each other. It's, <sighs> I'm, I'm it's perfect. It's, yeah, it's everything, I guess. Oh, that's uh, that's heart wrenching. Sorry, continue. My apologies. Oh yeah, and what 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 Robin does, and several of the others, even the, there aren't many there left. Uh, even the other professor, Chakravarti, he he sort of walked away as if he could. He was apparently arrested, and we don't hear any more of him because you know I, I think that's the, the key point is that you can't walk away. Um, so he didn't. He's arrested. Uh, well, you can, but you have to accept the consequences. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can't freely or easily walk away, uh, which is kind of the thing, because like, oh, they were going too far, and they were, but w- this is where you draw the line, um, and w- what their their solution or the only way is to bring down the tower, and not just that. We learned very early on, and I expect it to be a Chekhov's gun, not that deeply, uh, not that extensively, uh, that the the forbidden. <laughs> match pair is translation literally because uh you 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 can't capture what is between that deepness of translation that 
because it's you know it's not only destructive of the silver but it's contaminant because it renders every other silver that it comes into contact with inert so they do that with as much silver as they can and the intense and effect of that collapses the tower and all its silver and all the use of it so even what silver is remained from the explosion and the debris is useless for silver working itself and yeah. it is this actually and that which neutralizes the large majority of silver working via the empire uh, it kind of commercial economically breaks the empire in a single action therefore rendering the war impossible as well uh, via consequence and this is what uh, renders any effect and and yet it is via this gut-wrenching and painful sacrifice that for for robin especially but we can imagine for the others as well could see no living beyond that that their only existence was to die here and not carry on living unlike victoire and another student who decide to know i will carry on living and how that is a much greater challenge i am not entirely sure what i i, I entirely stand on what leon said and this is where how they all got to there it is this this solidarity this as, as leon writes the utopian potential within loving self and loving others and i, I couldn't phrase it any better um, what I what I want to end on and end this discussion and this quite lengthy special anniversary episode on is is two different quotes. It's um, we we mentioned briefly the Adamic language and the idea was that it was an original language of Adam, uh, which uh, from which all other languages develop. Yeah, that human human culture developed from one point essentially. Like it's a it's a broader sociological thing, I think, and historical thing. Yeah, it's not true. Oh, of course not. It's just, just a quick notion for anyone bunkum. listening. Adamic language is bullshit. Sorry, continue. Yeah, it's bunkum. Not, not a thing. Uh, and, uh, and we see Robin in his final moments do- destroying the tower. Uh, he's thinking about this. Um, for how could there ever be an Adamic language? The thought now made him laugh. There was no innate, perfectly comprehensible language. There was no candidate, not English, not French that could bully and absorb enough to become one. Language was just difference. A thousand different ways of seeing, of moving through the world. No, a thousand worlds within one. In translation, a necessary endeavor, however futile, to move between them. He, he then remembers one of his, uh, very fir- his first morning in Oxford. Him and Rami, after having recently met and, and chatting, and uh, uh, the, the, how Robin says that it feels like they've known each other forever and while knowing each other less than a day and uh rami said that it's i think it's because when i speak you listen (laughs) robin replies cheekily and uh uh, amorously though that never unfortunately never goes anywhere because you're (laughs) fascinating um but rami says because you're a good translator that's just what translation is i think that's all speaking is listening to the other and trying to see past your own biases to glimpse what they're trying to say showing yourself to the world and hoping someone else understands. And um, that, is, uh, that is the precise opposite of what uh, Letty ever did. She heard and heard and heard, but never made any attempt to guess, to, to self-doubt herself, to properly listen. It's like, maybe what these people who have lived with and shared almost every day for four or five years are speaking true and are trying to be true 
and are trying to tell me something that I have not yet got the language to understand, but I want to. She never took that option. She she was a terrible translator, it turns out. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, that's why I think this quote uh, perfectly encapsulates it, because, <laughs> how, what am I doing here uh, to, to, to be existential about it? I'm a, a Brazilian academic uh, speaking in English to people literally around the world with a variety of different languages. But but for Leon too, um, uh, having a Dutch as a different language to bring you into trans- from translation and we're sharing to other countless other languages and people, well, maybe this is a bit hubris of my part, but I'll, <laughs> I'll go along with it. Uh, we at least have the potential li- to, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To so many other languages and peoples and ideas and we're all we're using English as a medium but to translate it into ourselves not just in our own languages but in our own lives to come upon this understanding this this listening this engagement this utopian engagement with the world and uh, for all the, the pain and the sorrow that Babel offers us uh, quite <laughs> beautifully I'd add ultimately this is where it's it, it lands true that <sighs> we need we need translation in our lives the translation of us into the world and the world into us in its very different ways and of or rather how can we translate this world into the one in our dreams in our imagination in our utopias yeah i think quotes like betrayus or portrait of betrayed a portrait is beautiful transcendental identity of translations or transcendental identity of of, of craft, of of learning, of what use learning and like science should be all about. I think exactly. Um, to net, to end on a slightly light, light, light slightly lighthearted note. Um, shout out to the one person who tried to write the the, the tetrachromaticon on a piece of silver. <laughs> Good for them. Um, have fun with the name of God, you fucking imbecile. <laughs> it's it's. Like it turned to smoke or something. I don't know what what actually happened, but like there was an explosion or something. I don't know. Um, something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. That that was that was hilarious because uh, that was bound to happen, wasn't it? Um, I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is that's Babel. It is the it is everything, and it is the potential for everything for this translation. That is, that is everything. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, congratulations to us on five year on four years. Um, yes. Here's to five. Uh, it's here's coming. Uh, <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Leon, for joining me. Always. And yeah, n- no Patreon plug tonight. Um, just have fun. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see you very soon. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yes. Take care, everyone. Take care. Thank you.